Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning. Before we get into our message specifically, I want to encourage you to take advantage of GroupLink today. That's a big day for us. First of all, I actually want to say you're watching this online. I just want to invite you one more time, and I'll probably continue to do this in the weeks to come. I just invite you to join us here in person. Uh, We are so glad that this can be a resource for you and you can engage with us this way. Um, And when you're ready, we just want you to know we're excited to welcome you here in person again when you're ready. I met someone just this past weekend that had been just like you online this whole time and then um, finally was like, got up the courage. A single woman came all by herself, which is a huge step of courage, uh, but came and got to know some people here at Mercy Church. And I'm just extending that invite to you. And maybe all you needed was a little nudge. But if not, I do want you to know we also have a community group that meets online as well. So if that's where you need to remain right now, uh, I want you to take advantage of that today. But my point, look, right now about half of us at Mercy Church are in community groups here at Mercy, all right? And I just, I know that we need one another. We are created for it. We need it. And if there's one thing this pandemic has definitely reminded us, it's that too much isolation, actually, we're just not created for isolation. And isolation is toxic to us because it is subhuman. We need relationships with one another. And that's what community groups are designed to provide, like a greenhouse for friendships in the gospel where we can get to know one another, we can care for one another, we can help one another grow as followers of Christ, we can help one another, as we talked about last week, take next steps. All right, so um, Group Link Sunday, that's today. I just want to encourage you to take a step, and we can all and should all do that together. I can't plead with you enough. Get in community. There's so much that I cannot do, and our preachers cannot do from here when it comes to application of the gospel into your life. That's what those groups do, all right? Um, With that said, on to the sermon. If you got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. Today, we're going to talk about God's design for the local church, that very community. I'm just encouraging you to get in. When I was um, just beginning pastoral ministry, right, really early on, I got assigned two funerals back to back to one another, very close in timeline between one another. The first one uh, was a funeral of a elderly white woman who was a part of the founding, one of the founding members of the church that I was pastoring at. And the funeral was what I expected, uh, what I anticipated from the couple of funerals that I'd been to growing up, right? So we got there, very somber, very quiet, a um, couple of songs. You heard maybe a couple of sniffles, but otherwise everybody kind of kept together pretty rigid. I got up there, preached a brief sermon, and then shook a couple of hands and was gone. The uh, whole thing was very short, very brief, very solemn and quiet. Um, the next funeral that happened just a little bit later was the funeral for an Ethiopian man who had been a part of our church for a couple of years, and his family requested me to do the funeral. And let's just say that funeral was different than the funeral that I had just done. Uh, First of all, I show up, there's 200 people, and I'm the only white person in the room. 
That alone is very different for me. I'm used to being a part of the majority in a room. So that one was very different for me. But then some stuff started happening that I did not have a cultural background or experience or even a framework to understand. Uh, There was this thing called whaling that was happening that I had read about in books, but then I actually experienced it um, and just didn't know what it was, didn't know what was going on. There was, you know, in that first funeral, there was like a, a order of service that was really clear. This one, I was struggling to figure out What's the order of things that are happening here? There were so many people that got up to speak at different times. I didn't know when I was supposed to get up. I was like, ah, am I supposed to go now? You know, kind of doing that, that hedge thing back and forth, not sure. And then after the service was over, everybody that was there was invited to go to the family's home. And there was going to be like a day long. So it was an all day affair. And a lot of the wailing had, was turning into laughter and, and time together. It was so different. The outpouring of emotion was so different to me. And yet it was incredibly cathartic. And what I realized there is that it was both uncomfortable, for me, both uncomfortable and comforting. So I'm with a black pastor a couple of months later. We served on staff together. We're at lunch and I'm telling him, man, um, you're not going to believe this I had an authentic Ethiopian experience. And I start going into the retelling the whole thing. He's kind of smiling. He goes, you were at an Ethiopian funeral. He said, but bro, you were at a black funeral. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, man. That's how, he's like, I know that you like to keep emotion stuff way down in. I was like, that's right. That's what you're supposed to do with it. And he's like, but actually God has given us emotions to express. And we were talking about it just even 1 Thessalonians 4, like the idea of grief. What I had realized there is grieving with hope. I had experienced grief, not just theologically knew about it. I'd experienced grief with brothers and sisters from another culture. And we talked about, we began to talk at that lunch about, man, how much more of God and his word we could understand if we lived life alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, but from different cultural backgrounds. And I realized a couple of things. First of all, virtually all of my Christian experience had been confined to God's redemptive work, really good in one culture, right? I'm thankful for that, but I realized that I had been, there may have been invisible walls that I was living behind and not realizing it that had kept me from seeing the character and power of God and his gospel on display in so many ways just because of where I had lived and grown up and everything else. And there was so much more that I could know. And the other thing I realized as I started exploring it is the, skip, the scriptures tell me Christ himself created and calls for his church to be multicultural. And while that may occur naturally in certain parts of the world, in our day and in our context, multicultural Christian brotherhood in the local church is in short supply. But I believe this is a great gift that God has given us in the gospel, a redemptive reconciliation across ethnic and cultural boundaries. And what we have to do as the church is actually receive it, not create it. Christ has already created it. We're going to see that today. And for us, church, the thing in front of us that I want to put in front of us today to talk about today is receiving all that Christ has won and done for us, and that it is an offense to him when we choose to reject that which, we has done, which he has done and created for us. 
This series, our series is called Because of Christ. We're talking about our our five-year vision as a church. Our five-year vision is because of Christ, Mercy Church is devoted to becoming a maturing, multiplying, multicultural church. It's a six-week-long series that we started the first week in January. Week one was that vision, and then each of the next five weeks, we're uh, just kind of unveiling a ministry value that we're going to operate by to help us realize that vision. This week, the ministry value I'm sharing with you is that because of Christ, we pursue multicultural unity under the name of Jesus. Now, let me say one last thing as a pretext to our passage in Ephesians 2. This is the one sermon where Christians, we might be tempted to think that culture, not scripture, could be driving this message in this church. Because culture right now, is showing that it values unity in all different ways. And, and maybe the church is being just tempted to go where culture is. Listen, I hope everything I say today is a plain and clear exposition of Scripture. Nothing I'm going to say today is new, not remotely. In fact, everything I'm going to say today is 1,600 years older than America, much older. My agenda is not to make Mercy Church palatable to culture. My agenda is to make us more glorifying to God. And that may mean, that's always my agenda with you, church. I'm not here to be the political moderate that makes everybody feel comfortable with their backgrounds and we try and be in the middle. No, I'm called to be a gospel preacher, right? And to lead you and pastor you towards glorifying God as a local church. And I shared this with you full of hope and anticipation for what he has for us in here. Everything I hope today is full of hope, but some of it might be uncomfortable, which shouldn't surprise us because following Jesus is not a journey into comfort. It's a journey of discomfort as we are conformed again and again into his image and for his glory, right? Much like braces hurt when they are aligning teeth the right way, right? So God's word sometimes hurts as it aligns our hearts into his image and his design, but that pain is worth it because we're going to move more into his image, into his glory, and we're going to flourish as a result of it. So let's everybody take a deep breath. Calm down. It's God's word for God's church. Let me pray just, just real quick. Lord, would you, would you do your work in hearts? I know my job is to take your word and give it to ears, and your job is, of course, to change hearts and feet. So God, give me grace. Speak, Spirit, beyond my ability or wisdom. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Help us to receive all you have for us today. Amen. All right, Ephesians 2, we're starting in verse 11. All right, he says, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus says, so then, let's stop right there. Got really far into our text today. So then, this is crucial here. So then is another way of saying, therefore, because of what I, basically, because of what I just said and what he just said is one of the most, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you should memorize it. It's one of the most clear presentations in all of the, of the gospel, in all of scripture. He says in verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love which he, which he had for us. Because of that love, 
He's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. Exclamation point, boom, you're saved by grace. Because of Christ, you hear that, church, we never assume the gospel. Paul's about to talk about some implications, but he never assumes the gospel. He directly ties the calling he's about to give the church to our unmerited gift of salvation in Christ. The whole series that we're doing this month, what I'm trying to show you is we are who we are and we do what we do because of Christ. And we never stop celebrating that. And the work ahead of us, the good work ahead of us, that's verse 10, if you were to keep reading, the good works he's prepared for us in Christ, he's already gone ahead. God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Man, that's because of Christ. God is with us. He has gone ahead of us and prepared these works for us. I love that. So let's, that's so helpful. He's already gone ahead of us, even in the work he's about to give us to do right in these next verses. Listen up. Verse 11. So then remember, you know, one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. There's so much in here. You're going to hear me say that probably a lot today. You need to go back and keep reading kind of thing. There was a time when you were without Christ. You were not a part of God's people. God's people here in, uh, at this time, they were identified by the act of circumcision. That's an act done by hands, right? That's what he's saying there. It's by the hands, human flesh, that kind of thing. When people were either born into Israel or they were grafted in, they had to be circumcised as a right of entry. And it was only the circumcised who had access to hope. And Paul's saying, all right, I want you to remember something. There was a time, church, where you were lost. You were in the world, but without hope or without God in that world. And he's saying it because if you remember that, it helps give you perspective that we too easily forget. That there was a time when we were far from Christ. He's making sure we understand the true dividing line between groups of people, right? Because he's about to talk about what God has reconciled, but you got to understand the dividing line. The deepest division in the world is with hope and without hope. It's with God and without God. Adam and Eve were once with God. They sin. They're sent outside of the garden to wander without God, without hope. That's what sin does to us. It sets us far apart from God. There's a chasm that is too wide for you to overcome that exists between those two. And God, what he has done is he's brought you from being among the people without hope to being the people with hope. Verse 13, now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See that? What, four verses removed from what he already just said this in verse eight and he's saying it again? Yes, because he's gonna say something hard so he soaks it in the gospel, which is why we are trying to stay soaked in the gospel here so that whatever we do has, 2 Corinthians 2, the aroma of Christ to it. By the blood of Jesus, this is the gospel. Jesus' blood shed as a payment for your sin and mine. Our sin debt that separated us from God has been paid by the blood of Jesus. The redeeming work of Jesus, that should be fresh on your mind right now, in your mind's eye, and now remaining in Christ, you have also been brought near. So the question is near to what or near to whom? First, the answer is God the Father. But then secondly, he's saying the Gentiles were brought near to the Jews 
two different ethnic groups were brought near to each other. Verse 14, for he, he is our peace. A person, Jesus Christ, that's our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He's our peace. And listen, he didn't make a people where both groups are now two people nearby each other. No. In fact, he didn't even graft the Gentiles onto Israel as had been done in the Old Testament. Instead, he made both groups one. You see that oneness in Christ that we are talking about today, that we are pursuing as a church, it is first and foremost a theological issue. It's not first and foremost a social one. Under the name of Jesus, he, our Savior, Messiah, King, remember last week we said he is claiming all authority in heaven and on earth? He is our peace. He made two groups one. I'm going to go even further in on that in a moment. And he tore down the dividing wall of hostility that existed between the Jew and the Gentile. He ripped it down. In fact, right before he goes to the cross, recorded in John 17, he prays, Father, make them one. I pray that they would be one just as, and he goes into, he lets us into the Trinitarian relationship, just as you and I are one. Father, I pray that they would be one, that kind of oneness, so that it connects it to God's purposes in the world, so that the watching world may believe that you sent me. It is the, listen to me, it is the embracing and then the visible demonstration of our oneness that speaks to the validity and power of the gospel to our watching world. It's not just the embracing, but the visible demonstration of our embracing it. That is such a message of hope and power and something other from God to the watching world. He keeps going. He says, he is our peace who made both groups one, tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh... He made, no, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man. He didn't just make one new group, one new man from the two resulting in peace. In his flesh, the law of circumcision, he's referring back to it, made by the flesh of human hands, Christ is nullifying through his perfect flesh. So he made the circumcision law to be of no effect so that in himself, In Christ Jesus, in him, under the name of Jesus, he made one new man from the two. This is not Gentile becoming Jew. This is Jew and Gentile becoming a new thing. And that new thing is called the church. That's the new thing. And the result, the result, he says it a couple times in here, peace. What a message for us right now. The result of this joining together under the headship of Christ, who is not only our head, but he's also present with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Man, the result is peace, which is something the church and the watching world longs for right now. Verse 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Jew and and Gentile reconciled to God in one body 
The Jews had hostility towards the Gentiles because the Jews thought they had privileged access to God. Of course, they were God's people. And unless the Gentiles conformed to their way of doing things, they weren't to be grafted in. And they're trying to make the Gentiles conform to their Jewish cultural norms. Even in the church, the Gentiles had hostility and resentment towards the Jews. And Paul is saying, Jesus went up on the cross and died. And with his death, so did the reason for hostility die. That's why Paul rebukes the apostle Peter When Peter is recorded in Galatians 2, Peter's out eating with some Gentiles. Um, God had shown Peter, this is recorded in Acts 10, that the Gentiles were being brought into the church. God was creating a new thing. And so the gospel was going to be for them as well. So Peter preaches to some Gentiles. Gentiles get saved and Peter finds out, man, these people can cook, right? And so he's having meals with them, left and right. And then they're having some fun and all of a sudden some Jewish Christians show up. And they see Peter eating with these Gentiles. And they say, hey, Peter, you don't eat with them. No, no, no. That's not how we do things. Don't eat with those people. You're a Jewish Christian. And Peter, despite everything that Peter has been through, that God has brought him through, even this vision from God confirming that Gentiles were to be brought in, he still walks away from the Gentile table under the pressure of those Jewish Christians. In deference to the cultural preferences of his own race, he discredited the message of the gospel that God had so clearly conveyed to him earlier. And Paul calls him out on it. Because no one, not even an apostle, is excused for placing culture above Christ. Or above, not above Christ. No. God's standard reigns supreme and cultural preferences are to be denounced when a Christian fails to submit to God's standard. Scripture, and only Scripture, is the final authority by which our cultural relationships are to be determined. Verse 17, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and to you who are near to those who are near, to those Gentiles far from God, he proclaimed peace between you and God. To Israelites who were near, he still had to proclaim the good news of peace also. Both got the same news. Now, again, if we translate that to us today, um, both of us, like pretty much everybody watching this is gonna be in that Gentile camp, which is a bunch of different ethnicities and cultures. Unless you are Jewish, and if you are Jewish watching this, you were granted peace with God through the same gospel news. So in one sense, it doesn't matter whether you were far off, like all of us Gentiles, or you were close uh, from the Old Testament history, close to the people of God. You were brought into, reconciled to God, brought near to God, and near to one another through the same means, the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. For through him, verse 18, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We both, regardless of our ethnicity and culture, have access in one spirit to the Father. There's no Gentile Holy Spirit or Jewish Holy Spirit, just the Holy Spirit. There's no black Holy Spirit, no white Holy Spirit, no Asian Holy Spirit or Hispanic Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit who grants us access to one heavenly father. We're one people. Look, verse 19. So then all of this theology to set them up, because our God is so, oh, It's so beautiful that you could explore this far more than what I'm able to do in one sermon, and it's what we will continue to do as a church. But so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of God's household. Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You got a new identity, the identity of the church. You are fellow citizens with the saints. 1 Peter 2, 9, what, uh, a passage that our church holds really close to its heart. You are Christian, a chosen race. You're a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you read on to verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people because once you hadn't received mercy, but now you'd receive mercy. We have new citizenship and our heavenly citizenship must take priority in our hearts and in our lives over our earthly citizenship. Our primary allegiances must lie with God and his church. We're more bound to one another in Christ than we are to our ethnicity and culture of origin. And Tony Evans, a pastor out in Dallas, Texas, says in his book, Oneness Embraced, he says, this means we're citizens of heaven first. We should not think of ourselves as white Christians or black Christians or Asian Christians or Hispanic Christians. In these descriptions, Christian is a noun modified by the adjective, black, white, etc. However, our Christianity should modify our culture. We should see ourselves as Christian whites, Christian blacks, Christian Asians, Christian Hispanics, etc. And more than that, um, our author, Paul, is going to go on to say, we are members of one household. We're family. And the great sin of the American church in the 20th century, and seems like it in the 21st as well, was not living out the implications of that term, family. Dr. King, in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he said his great disappointment, it wasn't the white terrorist groups like the KKK. No, it was the passivity of his white brothers and sisters who could recite, think of those white pastors who could recite magnificent sermons, yet ignore their family who were suffering oppression under Jim Crow. We are, more, we are one people more tightly, one family. We got to learn to love each other like family. When you think about how you treat brothers and sisters in Christ, you actually put on the lens of family. And look, he finishes up. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that is God's word, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone of God's word. In him, who Christ is himself God's word. It's marvelous, it's so rich here. In him, the whole building that he is building, that is the church, being put together, grows into, over time, matures into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. That's who he is making us into as a church, as we are reconciled to one another, as we are made one, we are displaying who God is so much that this is where you get the language that has been used in um, church history to talk about the church as God's house. It's God's people. This is representing God himself and God's spirit dwelling in us. So let me say a couple of things about how in light of God's word, we pursue multicultural unity under the name of Jesus. How we go forward together. First, each of us, we have to pursue robust theology centered on the gospel. Genesis 1 tells me people were made in God's image. 
no qualifier as to what kinds of people were made in God's image. So all people are owed dignity equally. Genesis 3 tells me mankind all has the same sin problem, all people. Genesis 11 tells me that mankind tried to get unity apart from God's sovereign rule over them, and God rejected it entirely. Genesis 12 tells me that God's promise to Abraham is that he'd be a father to many nations, that there would be a time where God would bring peoples back to himself. So that tells me I'm going to have brothers and sisters from another mother. The story of the Israelites shows me God consistently grafting in non-Jews and his grace and mercy. The story of Jonah shows me a God who loves the nations. The Psalms talk about the nations coming back to him. Isaiah talks about a Messiah who all nations come and bow down to. Jesus goes out to the Samaritan woman. Jesus redraws family identity lines around those who follow him and those who don't. That's who family is now. Jesus calls for oneness in him to be the witness of the gospel to the watching world. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the church and instantly a reversal of Genesis 11 happens where there's prophecy in multiple languages right there in the first church. What God is saying is I am gonna bring all peoples back, but it's gonna be under me and it's gonna be through my gospel. The very first church is multicultural because when God reconciles us vertically to him, he reconciles us horizontally to one another. I see Peter's vision of the Gentile given the promise of the gospel. I see the passage in Ephesians we're looking at. I see Paul's rebuke of Peter's racism in Galatians. I see Galatians 3 where there's neither slave nor free nor Greek nor Jew, all one in Christ. I see 1 Peter where we're a holy race. I see a whole new people created and I see John's vision of heaven. Look, after this I looked, Revelation 7, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, seated on the throne and to the Lamb. How did John know people were there from every nation and tribe? He saw color. And I know Jesus tells me to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And the church is his demonstration community. The gospel tells me I've been reconciled to God and reconciled to others in Christ. And scripture repeatedly makes sure I understand this means reconciled to those from other ethnic and cultural backgrounds. To believe this and then to ignore it? to push it aside, to not flesh this out, to not be obedient to God's word is antithetical to the gospel. A holistic theology of the gospel. If you dive as deep as you can go into God's word, and I mean dive, and you should, but what will happen in result, a true deep dive into who God is and what he has done will result in more conviction to love your neighbor as yourself. And it will cause you to desire to represent the kingdom of God here on earth and to be a part of it. Why would we want to settle for less? So we're going to continue to pursue a robust theology of the gospel here, keeping the gospel at the center, as we said, in week two of this series. That will challenge us to be a multicultural church. 
That's why we're going to continue to hold equipping courses and, and forums like we've done in this specific area and topic. We've got one coming up this summer to help you embrace the beauty of our theology. We're going to continue to have a robust theology. But I'm going to tell you something else. We must pursue relational depth with one another across cultural and ethnic lines. We need to make friends with one another across those boundaries. Y'all, the church isn't just a gathering. We know this from our theology. It's a people, people who live amongst one another. Therefore, this calling isn't just to sit near someone, you know, six feet apart or whatever else, from a different cultural background, but to pursue relationships with one another. It's to know one another so well that we experience the joy of their culture, but their culture or ethnicity is not the totality of how we see them. This will result, by the way, in the need for lots of grace and lots of humility with one another. If we really go after this, that's what it was to. So listen, to my white brothers and sisters, this will mean listening. As my dad used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. So you should listen twice as much as you speak. When we do this, I believe when we listen, there were some blinders that will be lifted. For example, growing up, I thought that being colorblind was a virtue to say, I don't see color, I just see people. And I think, we, I, think I meant well by that. It was a sentiment that sought to value the individual. But the more I actually built relationships and friendships with people of color, the more I learned how offensive my words were. Because here's what I was saying that I didn't realize what I was saying. When I said I don't see color, what I was actually saying was I see past your color. As if your color was a obstacle to getting to know you as if your color was something that needed to be overcome. What was wrong with your color? <laughs> Nothing. And so what I've learned over time is to say, okay, maybe a good intention, but repentance needed to happen there. And it's not that we need to look past color. We need to embrace it in full. I need to say, I love you. I love you. Tell me more. I want to learn more about your culture, about your ethnicity, your experience in life, and how God has redeemed you, because I'm going to get more of God as I see that. We are not colorblind. That might be a good intention, but I encourage you to put that aside, because the honest truth is we're not. I mean, even one of our pastors who is actually like physically colorblind, he still sees in shades. You know what I mean? We're not truly colorblind. Let's, let's not use, let's use better words and let's pursue something better together. And let me say, brothers and sisters of color, let me say something with a lot of humility. I'll never forget. Um, there's a pastor in Charlotte, African-American pastor, who just encouraged me. He said, man, if you want to build a multi-ethnic church, it means you're going to pastor people from all different backgrounds that are not your own. And you've got to be willing to speak God's truth to them. And I'm going to do so with humility and encourage you not to write off your white brothers and sisters the minute they say or do something that offends you. The saying, you know, that that's just, that's going to be white people for you. Something like that. That's not a gospel approach. So I got to encourage you to assume the best in your brothers and sisters. I got to encourage all of us to do that, but 
That's especially hard for you because you're pioneers in our church right now. And I want to give a ton of grace. And I just want to thank you so much for choosing to be a pioneer in our church. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard and it's going to require a lot of grace. It's also going to require communicating. And I want to encourage you, invite you to communicate to myself and others how we can grow in this. And I even have an application step uh, that maybe God is calling you to take here towards the end of my message. This is not easy, this road that we are on together. And there's not a lot of ways that we have seen it done well before. And a lot of us carry baggage, especially if you're coming in as a member of a minority culture into our church. I believe in what God is building here and I believe it's worth it. And I wanna encourage you as you pursue it with us. In fact, here's the last thing. Pursue gospel discomfort. If we're gonna pursue multicultural unity, it means to pursue gospel discomfort. Um, There's this passage over in 1 Corinthians that I wanna share with you by way of kind of closing us out. Just to all of us. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? In order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so that I can win those under the law. To those who are without the law, I became like one without the law. Though I'm not without God's law, I'm under the law of Christ. But I did so to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak. I became, do you hear that? Over and over, became, 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 in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I may by every possible means save some. Why? Robust theology of the gospel. I do all this because of the gospel. That I may share in the blessings that God offers us. He became, actively immersed himself into others' lives. He'd be eating kosher one day and dry rub, smoke ribs the next, right? He didn't lose his identity as he did that. He went out of his way to find entry points into the lives of all peoples. For the sake of the gospel, he got uncomfortable. He got uncomfortable. On a church-wide level, this means we need to have humility to welcome cultural expressions, not just ethnic attendance. Multi-ethnic That's Christians from different ethnic backgrounds, black and white, Asian and Hispanic, African-American and African. But you can be multi-ethnic and be monocultural. You can have people from different ethnic backgrounds show up in a church and then just assimilate. Ask them, even if you never say a word, you will ask them to assimilate into the majority culture. So then like a bag of M&Ms, we may have different colors, but there's only one flavor. What we want instead is to be a church where brothers and sisters of different ethnic backgrounds bring their culture with them and we get more of God as the gospel is brought to bear and then made visible through their culture of origin. This means evaluating all of our ministries here to see how we can best shepherd a multicultural church. So we're launching something that we're calling the Race and Ethnicity Council later this year. I told you there might be an application step for you in this. This will be a group made up of mercy members from all ethnicities who will pray, discuss, evaluate our ministries here, and ultimately make recommendations to our church for how we can take positive steps towards our goal of becoming a multicultural church. That, that's a, I'm telling you, this is the one area where I feel like God is calling us to listen right now. Listen to one another. And this is going to require you to take a step of courage, most likely 
if you become a part of that team and are interested in that team. But listen, there's also this gospel discomfort can be done in the smallest of ways individually. It's even things like, I mean, I thought about what do I read and who do I read? Maybe it's the books that you read. I realize that in seminary, I think I can count on one hand the number of books that I read. And I read a lot of books in seminary. The number of books that I read, they were written by non-white authors. Diversify the voices you're listening to. Maybe it means choosing when you're going out to eat this week, not to go to South Park or uh, somewhere that's maybe more your comfort zone, but go over to Central Ave or East Charlotte and explore a a restaurant that comes from a people group that's way outside of your comfort zone and go and sit and maybe be the only person from your culture in there. And just sit, what, are you, what TV shows are you watching? What, at the end of the day, what we can do best? Let's diversify our dinner table. Let's live multicultural lives. Let's embrace one another and move beyond just sitting near one another and actually celebrate and champion the God of the gospel that we follow together. It's not an easy thing that we're stepping into. It's something that I step into with confidence that God calls us to it. And hope. Hope, Mercy Church, that we will not let fear, that we will not run away for fear of something we don't know and fear of something maybe we haven't seen before, that we will not let culture drive us, not let society, I should say, drive us, but instead the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has reconciled us to one another. Let that be our cause and our cause for unity and celebration and pursuing something that the watching world says, I don't understand that, but I want to know more. Because I see something different there. I see unity and love there unlike anything else. May the gospel be celebrated among us through the multicultural church we pursue under the name of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we need your help. Thank you, God, for this church that you have given me the honor and privilege of pastoring. I pray that the next few years would be to your glory. Give us courage. Give us courage, not complacency, not passivity. Give us courage. But God, let that courage be motivated by your gospel, your call on the church. Let it be guided by your Holy Spirit. God, give us grace and humility with one another as we pursue all that you have for us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.